Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why is there so much talk about Stephen Kenny's job as Ireland football manager? A recent headline on The 42 read, Stephen Kenny is building something exciting and deserves a new contract. I scrolled down to the first comment after reading the article, and it read, let's not get carried away, Azerbaijan, dead rubber, and Qatar, friendly. This is a pattern for all conversations about the Irish football team's manager. Many of you listening won't be football fans, but you'll have probably overheard some debate about whether Kenny should be given time or not. It's almost an existential question for Irish football for some people, and whether you're for Kenny or against him has become a marker of some kind of weird identity for football people, fans, former players, journalists, pundits, etc. Why does the man matter so much, and how does he and his team deal with all these questions and attention? I love a good The Journal and 42 crossover episode, so I'm delighted to welcome Gavin Cooney, football writer with The 42, back to the podcast. Hiya, Gavin. Hi, Sinead. So as I said, we will have a lot of non-footballing people listening, and actually you were on the last time talking about the Super League, and we went through a lot of footballing terms, things like what the UEFA League is, what the Champions League is, so if people do want that glossary, just head back to that Super League episode, you'll be able to you know, get up to date with all of those things. But there is a few cast of characters in this that I just want to run through so people can listen to this episode kind of smoothly and know who we're talking about. Um, we'll be talking about Martin O'Neill a little bit. Who is Martin O'Neill? Martin O'Neill is a former Northern Ireland international footballer who went on to have a good management career in the UK with the likes of Celtic and Leicester City and then became the Republic of Ireland manager from 2013 to 2018. And Mick McCarthy? Mick McCarthy is was the captain of uh, Jack Charlton's old Republic of Ireland team and then became the manager himself from 1996 to 2002. He then went on to have his own successful club management career in the UK and then returned to coach the team again in 2019. Now, these next two probably won't be needed, but we'll put them in there anyway. Jack Charlton is always going to be mentioned if we're doing a management podcast about Irish football. Uh, just a, a brief synopsis of Jack Charlton. Jack Charlton was a World Cup winner as a player with England back in 1966 and then became the Republic of Ireland manager in 1985 and became the most successful Ireland manager ever. Uh, led Ireland to Euro 88 and Italia 90 and the USA World Cup in 1994. And same caveats with Roy Keane, but just in case. Yeah, Roy Keane, former Republic of Ireland captain, fell out with Mick McCarthy, you might have heard about, in Saipan in 2002, and then returned. He was Martin O'Neill's assistant manager between 2013 and 2018. It really is a cast of characters, like that's a soap opera right there, just in four people and their connections. Right, so back to basics on this episode. Who is Stephen Kenny and what is his background? So Stephen Kenny is the current manager of the Republic of Ireland men's senior team. He's been a football manager for more than 20 years now. Uh, his background is primarily in the League of Ireland. Uh, he Back in the 90s, he became the youngest manager in the League of Ireland ever at the age of 26 when he took over Longford Town. He took them from the very bottom of the of the bottom league, as it were, in the Le- League of Ireland and uh, brought them to the top tier and brought them into Europe as well, competing in the UEFA Cup. And from there, he had largely a successful career, although with a couple of blips Along the way, he won the league at Bohemians of Dublin. He left there and went to Derry City and made them title contenders and famously brought them into the UEFA Cup to a tie against Paris Saint-Germain and they drew 0-0 in Derry. From there, he had his, his first ever spell as a manager in Scotland. Didn't really go well at Dunfermline. He made it to the Scottish Cup final, but he was sacked after a year because they were relegated from the Scottish League. He returned to Derry, was successful once again. Then got his uh, his big chance at Shamrock Rovers. He's originally from Tallis, so that was very much his, the biggest job of his career so far. 
and it went horribly awry. He was sacked after less than a year in charge and then went to Dundalk and at Dundalk became the most successful League of Ireland manager ever. He won four league titles and famously brought them into the group stages of what's now called the Europa League, so which was the old UEFA Cup, uh, became the most successful Irish team we've ever seen in Europe. And uh, off the back of that success became the Republic of Ireland manager in in one of the more curious decisions made uh, by the former CEO, John Delaney. Yeah, let's talk about those decisions and how he was appointed Ireland manager because mostly Ireland managers get appointed if they've done a stint in England, really, to, to be realistic. So uh, tell us about how he was appointed from that role in Dundalk to become the Irish manager. Mm, so Martin O'Neill and, and Roy Keane were dismissed at the end of 2018 after a horrendous run of results and performances. Throughout 2018, they scored a single goal and didn't win a single match. Uh, as someone who was there for all of those games, it was it was quite bad. Uh, so uh, Mick McCarthy was seen as the favourite to take the job, but there was a huge groundswell of public opinion led, it has to be said, by the likes of Eamon Dunphy uh, on, on on his podcast, The Stand. Obviously, Dunphy, uh, and I think might have been still on RT television at the time as well. Uh, and that groundswell of public opinion was behind Stephen Kenny because of his achievements in the domestic game here in Ireland. So John Delaney was always aware of public opinion. Uh, so he came up with this utterly we'll call it unprecedented uh, situation in which Mick McCarthy was appointed for a single qualifying campaign to to try and get Ireland to the European Championships of 2020, which in a pre-COVID world, Dublin was to part host with four games here. And then afterward, uh, Stephen Kenny would take over the Ireland senior manager and in the interim, he would serve as the under-21s manager. So it's uh, it was a very, very unusual, uh, unusual arrangement. So they, he appointed the manager and then also appointed the next manager all in the, in the one in the one go. So Mick McCarthy was only ever meant to be there until we did or didn't qualify for 2020. Yeah, they they put a they put a, a date on the contract. It, it was to expire in July 2020, which would have been after the European Championships of that summer. Obviously, the timelines and everything was messed up by the pandemic. Ultimately, the, the Euros were delayed by a year. Uh, and as it turns out, uh, Mick McCarthy ended up finishing earlier than anticipated. He, he took charge of the qualification campaign, the unsuccessful one in 2019. But Ireland, through uh, through the machinations of a, of a different competition that, that's really too boring to go into, but they were given a playoff, a one-off uh, playoff against Slovakia for a, a, like a backdoor into the Euros Uh, Mick was supposed to be in charge of that, but ultimately the pandemic timelines meant that that didn't quite fit. So uh, Mick was Mick's exit was accelerated and Stephen took took charge in in April of 2020. What were people's expectations at that kind of dual appointment? Okay, Mick McCarthy's there for the qualification and then Stephen Kenny will come in. What did people want from both men at that stage back in 2018 when the deal was happening? It's very, very difficult to say because such a such a strange, strange arrangement. I mean, it seems that Mick McCarthy was the favourite was a favourite appointment by John Delaney and the FAI board, but the public opinion was on was on Stephen Kenny's side. So, you know, the, what what we were told was that, like Mick would be a safe pair of hands that he would help he would be the team's best chance at guiding them through that qualification campaign for the Euros on on home soil in twenty twenty, and that Stephen would learn his trade in, in John Delaney's words at the under twenty ones job, and then. Uh, and then take the reins as senior manager. But the the main difference, I think, Sinead, was in terms of approach, how the team would play and uh, the ambition or otherwise that the team would show and the number of young players that would be picked, that would be brought through the system. I think uh, public uh, public opinion was very much more in line with Stephen Kenny's view of that. 
Yeah, so you mentioned there earlier, like watching Ireland for that year with under Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane, you know, not scoring goals was difficult. So is that how Stephen Kenny's name started to pop up? Because actually how they played was becoming more important than qualification or results? Mm, yeah, I, I think so, yeah. Uh, Stephen, Stephen Kenny, I could point to the evidence of his Dundalk team in Europe, whereas they didn't go about it in a, in a way we might uh, associate with Ireland teams in international competition. You know, they, they didn't, you know, put 10 men behind the ball and hope to nick things on, on a set piece or, or put them under pressure as uh, as the line as the line goes back in Jack Charlton's days. They played attacking, expansive football. They scored goals and, and they collected points like they've no Irish team had any had actually collected as many points in a European group stage as that Dundalk team. They won a game away at home to Maccabi Tel Aviv of Israel and drew away to AZ Alkmaar of, of the Netherlands. So Stephen, uh, and, and throughout his uh, career, has always stressed like the passing game and playing a better style of football. And look, he leaned into it. He did a, he did a great interview with Emmett Malone of the Irish Times in 2018 when it seemed that he might actually be a contender for the job to say the style of play and improving the style of play is an imperative. And I believe that, that, Irish, uh, that Irish teams can play and I think like maybe this is slightly too arch and if insubstantial, but like turn back to 2018, like this is, you know, this is post Brexit and that's those tortured processes of what Brexit might look like. And like the whole, like everyone in all walks of life in Ireland was reassessing Ireland's relationship with Britain. And I think the same conversation was had about football here because Ireland has always effectively outsourced its elite football to the UK. So young players will be developed here by schoolboy or nursery clubs up until the age of 16 and then they would get a move to you know Man United or Liverpool or one of the big clubs in England and they'd put them into their elite academies and develop them from there that stopped working because the UK clubs started recruiting around the world and I think there was there was a wider an understanding that you know we have to we have to take control of our own destiny here and Stephen Kenny because he came from the League of Ireland and because he was embedded in the football culture here kind of told that story of self-determination that is the likes of Mick McCarthy didn't because Mick lives in England, would have always managed in England, wouldn't be as aware of the structures here. So I think, I th- and I think that's also fueled a lot of the debate and the polarisation about Stephen Kenny. We talk about why is everything just focused on this figure of Kenny? Like there's so many other moving parts. Like most obviously he's not on the pitch to you know put the ball in the net. So why do we always talk about the manager? I think that that kind of crystallises the debate. It became a... You'll, you'll hear it kind of actually referred to as a battle for the soul of Irish football. And I think Stephen Kenny really uh, kind of encapsulated that story of self-determination and the fact that we have to take control of our own destiny, whereas Mick McCarthy was just the latest in a long line of managers who obviously have an affinity and connection to Ireland, but don't have a working connection to Ireland. You mentioned that Mick McCarthy was unsuccessful, that we didn't qualify for Euro 2020, which obviously was played in 2021. Was that catastrophic? Was that a catastrophic result for Ireland, or in the scheme of things, like especially for the non-footballing people who are listening, like how bad a performance is that that we weren't there? It's not catastrophic. It's disappointing. So uh, there are fifty-five uh, UEFA nations, so fifty-five countries competing in Europe for twenty-four spots in the European Championships. So Ireland are currently ranked in 26th among those, uh, among UEFA's rankings. So the ambition should always be to qualify for the European Championships. But taking things on the whole, 
it's not it's not a disaster or a disgrace that they didn't qualify. They didn't play great football and they didn't score many goals under Rick McCarthy, but they did take the qualification campaign down to the very last game. They drew one all at home to Denmark in November 2019 and they would have qualified had they won that game. So they, they were they weren't too far away. Um the performances and, and that's more subjective like the general consensus was that they weren't great, but they were somewhat effective. Um, but it, it's not—it's not the sheen of abject disgrace that Ireland would miss out on, on Euro. It's just disappointing. Okay, then in terms of Kenny, he obviously took over from Mick McCarthy. What contract terms does he have? What is his contract like? Under what circumstances could he be sacked from that contract? And obviously, being a football manager is not for the faint-hearted. You told us there the amount of times that he has got sacked before. So what is his current circumstances? So Stephen's contract runs until July 2022. Uh, again, it seems like a strange time for it to end because it's in the middle of, of a Nations League campaign next year. But you know the the calendar is kind of out of whack because the World Cup would usually end at that time has been pushed back six months so it can be played in the Qatari winter rather than in the Qatari summer so that's when it ends Stephen as I understand it makes about isn't making as much money as, as Mick McCarthy like it's on still a decent wage I think it's around 500,000 euro annually so it's still pretty good but Mick uh, Mick was on a little bit more and Martin like Martin O'Neill and even Roy Keane was on substantially more back in the day so um, the contract well the FAI say that you know we know that the FAI's finances are very bad but they say that they didn't want to talk about a specific contract but earlier this year the chairman said if they were to make a decision to end someone's contract early it's not a financial decision so it's not a case of they couldn't afford to sack him because if he was sacked tomorrow he would have to be paid up for the rest of that contract so how it seems that it's going to work out is that this World Cup qualification campaign ends next month in November and after that the FAI board will have a discussion as to whether to renew Stephen Kenny's contract for another campaign beyond next July or just let it run out. So how has his tenure panned out so far? How is that qualification going? Not well. The results have been extremely bad. The win against Qatar on Tuesday night was Stephen Kenny's third win in I think 17 games in charge. Uh, The World Cup campaign was a write-off from the beginning because Ireland began with a like a, a reasonable 3-2 defeat in Serbia. They played reasonably well away to a high level of opposition and then hit a nadir, the nadir of all nadirs with a 1-0 defeat at home to Luxembourg in Dublin in March. And they followed that up by losing in Portugal, albeit in narrow and heartbreaking circumstances. And subsequent draws uh, at home to Azerbaijan and Serbia meant that the campaign was mathematically over uh, with three games still to go. So uh, we won't be qualifying for the World Cup. And uh, sadly, we've known that for, for quite a while. So you've talked about Luxembourg there sounds like a kind of defining moment. Can you put that into context for people? Like what, give us an equivalent that maybe everyone will understand what losing to Luxembourg at home is. It's one of Ireland's worst results in a competitive game at home based off, now you can argue that Ireland, their trajectory is on the way down and Luxembourg is on the way up, but Luxembourg are are kind of a relative minnow of European football. There's never, they've never been to a major tournament. Uh, I remember Jack Charlton's team drew nil all with Liechtenstein back in 1995 and this was kind of held up as another like one of the really, really bad nights, like Steve Staunton's team losing 5-2 to Cyprus back in 2006. It was very more, very much portrayed as one of those kind of nights of shame for, for Irish football. Yeah, so having won so little, less than a fifth of matches, like you said, how does that compare to previous managers in terms of how much pressure Stephen Kenny is under? The results have been very poor and in the context of other managers, like it, they remain very poor like only there was a manager called Mick Meegan between 1969 and 1971 who didn't win any games so his 
win percentage is obviously 0%, but Stephen Kenny's win percentage is what, something like 16%. That's the next lowest ever. So the results have been very, very poor. But you then have to take it into the wider context of, of the time he's been working in and the circumstances that he's been working in. Like last year, he had an astonishing run of misfortune when it came to player unavailability uh, between uh, injuries, but most obviously COVID cases. Like there's been very few managers who've been afflicted by COVID cases among their squad, like Stephen Kenny has. He's lost 15 players to either positive tests or as close contacts in his tenure so far. Five of them went uh, the morning before a match against Wales, another two the morning before the Euros playoff in Slovakia because they sat on the wrong seat on the plane and were one and three millimetres too close to a positive case. So they were deemed as close contacts. And Stephen Kenny's look being as it was at that time, the positive case turned out to be a false positive. The guy never had COVID in the first place. So there's no need for those guys to miss that game. And then he's also been playing in empty stadia, which... um, which is very, very difficult, I think. You know, you can see that the team have much more energy and intensity in recent games in which they've played before a crowd and they've spent a year playing in front of empty stadia as well, which you can decide how much leeway to give them on the basis of that. So there's definitely caveats and a context which explains away some of the bad results. But just on paper, if you were to look at those results, they're, they're very, very bad. Yeah, you mentioned there Luxembourg being on the way up and Ireland being on the way down. Is there a part of this, the bad results, you know, not beating teams we'd expect it to beat? Is part of this just now we have to accept that we're a smaller nation when it comes to football? We're not going to reach the dizzying heights like we have before. People will remember Jack Charlton in 1990 or in 1994, that just those things aren't available to us anymore. Yeah, like Ireland are the 28th highest ranked UEFA nation and we have the 29th highest population in Europe. So you'd imagine that that's kind of on par. And we haven't, we've kind of, Ireland have stopped producing elite players. Like you don't see, like Jack Charlton's teams and even Mick McCarthy's uh, first team back from the mid-90s onwards, you could, you'd always have a few Liverpool players or Man United players in that team and that would be playing at the Champions League level. But that that doesn't happen anymore. Like we only really have, and Shane Duffy and Seamus Coleman are the only two real Premier League regulars at their clubs at the moment. So we'd, we're producing a lower standard of player because the old, uh, it's consensus, but I think it's an accurate consensus that the old plan of outsourcing their development to the UK doesn't work in a kind of globalised world where the UK clubs are recruiting players from every corner of the world. You know, that doesn't, you know, that didn't happen in the 80s and 90s and we've been left behind in that sense. So, the best way to sum up the Luxembourg game is that, you know, the Champions League is the elite level of, of club football. There was only one Champions League player on the pitch that night he scored the only goal of the game, but he was Gerson Rodriguez and he plays for Luxembourg. So on reputation, like Luxembourg was a great night of shame, but on, you know, on the practical realities and the relative levels at which the players are playing, it doesn't quite have that sheen of abject disgrace. Yeah, so when you explain this, you're explaining to us about players and players' ability. So how do managers become so central to these conversations? Oh, because men talking about football get too emotional. <laughs> I think that's the reason. Um there's a couple of reasons. One is that obviously Stephen Kenny has positioned himself along the fault line of this argument because he always talked about what I talked about earlier with that uh, self-determination uh, story. He, he's, he's positioned himself at the centre of that. So when people talk about culture war and a battle for the soul of Irish football, Kenny has positioned himself on the fault line of that. So that's one of the reasons. Another of the reasons, I think, is just how the media works. You know, like in Europe, you go to Europe and look at the newsstands in Europe, you'll always find like daily newspapers dedicated just to sport with 32 pages. 
in each one and they'll go into like tactical nuance and various kind of far more in-depth things. Sports only newspapers have never really survived in the UK and Ireland. They've always been sold on the back page of your regular newspaper. And as a result, it's always been more character driven and personality driven and it's slightly conflict driven. And there's always like a, there always has to be a narrative around which everything is spun just for the sake of grabbing people's attention on the back page and on the banner of the front page. And usually that's always encapsulated and distilled into the figure of the manager. Also, other practicalities, the manager is the one who speaks to the media before and after every game. We speak to some players, but it's always the manager. And like the manager's role is obviously important and a great manager be, can be transformative, like Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool and so on, or, or Jack Charlton at Ireland back in the mid-1980s. But we often overstate the role of the manager as well because ultimately it comes down to the quality of player you have on the pitch. Yeah, and so... When we're talking, we've talked, you know, we know that there's a divide between football people, whether Kenny should stay or go. But the way you've been talking about the results there, I think people will be surprised that there is a groundswell of support for him. Why is that groundswell of support there when he is losing as many matches as he's losing, albeit the bad luck that he has had? I think a lot of it takes into account the bad luck that he's had. I think it also takes into account the quality of player that he's working with. Like John Giles was on Eamon Dunphy's podcast on Monday and described this as the worst bunch of Irish players in 50 years in terms of quality, you know. So I think people appreciate that. I think people can see the progression that is being made in terms of the style of play. There have been, like since the Luxembourg game, there has been generally things have been on an upward trajectory. Now, there's been a couple of blips along the way. They fell behind in Andorra, which was, <laughs> now that would have been a disgrace had they not come back and scored four goals after that. And then there was the one all draw at home to Azerbaijan, which was a poor performance in between two, uh, two better performances last month. So I think people can, uh, can, see the, uh, can see the upward trajectory on that. I genuinely think that like that, we'll go back to that, Kenny being on the fault line of, of a kind of a self-determination or a different story about Irish football. I, people believe in that. I think he's got a lot of supporters having positioned himself in that argument. And also, I think people just like the guy. I think he's, um, he come, he's a very thoughtful guy. He's a very honest guy. Um, he's very passionate, uh, which definitely comes across in some of his media interviews. And he's also shows some, he's, he's, he's not afraid to show some vulnerability, I find, in the things he talks about and how he talks about them. And I think people tap into that as well and they're also support is he's brought through a lot of young players you know there's I think he's capped 11 new players since he took over and he's thrown teenagers into the mix and people really relate with that I think I mean in just in Portugal against the likes of you know Cristiano Ronaldo and his uh, superstar uh, supporting cast the, there was a 21 year old defender Daryl O'Shea got injured you know there's an experienced defender on the bench you're expecting to bring him on and instead he turns to an 18 year old called Andrew Amabamadele and says right on you go <laughs> there's your debut against Cristiano Ronaldo and that I think people are tapping into that as well and it's more you know more diverse Ireland I have to say that he's introducing the likes of Amabamadele um, Chidozi Ogbene became the first Africa born player to uh, to represent and then score for Ireland under Kenny's watch and, and also like the goalkeeper Gavin Bazunu has been a, a revelation since he's been introduced so taking all those things into into account I think that's there's some of the reasons why he's still got so much support so yeah you can be swayed one way earlier in the podcast by results you can be swayed that way by the passion in your voice uh, Gavin um but obviously people do want him to go as well. Some people, you know, will be really disappointed that we're not going to qualify for the World Cup next time. It's a long run. Um, it's been a long time since we have qualified for a World Cup. So it might seem obvious, but why do those people want him to go? 
I think people obviously look at results and think he's, he's not good enough. Uh, there is uh, a feeling among some of the commentary that because he has worked just in the League of Ireland and the uh, the vast majority of the players that he's working with have, have worked in the UK that they wouldn't respect him. Uh, I, I really don't think that's a fair criticism. And Kenny himself called it frankly insulting uh, when he was doing that interview with the Irish Times in 2018. And it's interesting, like uh, my colleague Paul Fennessy had a very good piece on the, on the 42 over the weekend making the point that a lot of the criticism is coming from former players, actually. Paul McGrath has said that he doesn't believe that Stephen Kenny is the right man for the job. Uh, Tony Cascarino has, has, uh, has criticised his idealism and says that you know, with Stephen Kenny, I only see one idea um, and that he's too wedded and too dogmatic to that idea. And I think one of the reasons for the criticism is the fact that Stephen Kenny, by, by um, positioning himself as as kind of a progressive force in Irish football and saying we need to move on from that uh, from that period of, of relying on the UK and drafting in managers from the UK, I think the the players who are successful in that bygone era of Irish football feel slighted by that and feel slightly um, yeah just f- feel a little bit insulted by it which is which is a very interesting point that Paul Fennessy made that I hadn't uh, hadn't really considered and I think that that is perhaps driving some of the criticism as well because like this is the first like Irish football has never really got over the success that they had with Jack Charlton from the mid 1980s onwards like Stephen Kenny's management team is the first defeat uh, that doesn't feature a player that played under Jack Charlton at that time for instance there's been a very conscious break with that uh, period Stephen Kenny even once gave an interview to say that when he was growing up in the 1980s he didn't go to watch Jack Charlton's team because he didn't like the style of play so you can see like a quite a revolutionary figure in that way and I think that because so many uh, of the football pundits and football voices in the media are associated with that time uh, so I think maybe there's a they feel a little bit slighted so that's the former players. What about the players under Kenny right now? Do they seem to be happy? They do seem to be happy. Like, I mean, you'll, you'll never ask a player, uh, what do you think? Do they think of their current manager? And they'll trash him publicly because they're <laughs> they're pragmatic and they realise, well, I have to say nice things about this guy, so he'll pick me. But they do seem, they're very enthusiastic in their support. I think they're, they're going beyond what you would expect from Anodyne press conferences with professional footballers. Matt Doherty is probably the most, um, has been the most strident. Now, Doherty has always given his opinion. So he, under Martin O'Neill, he was, he was quite critical, actually, of, of how O'Neill and Keane coached the team. Um, um, and their training methods and said his face didn't fit. Whereas Matt Doherty has said, if you could see the level of coaching that we're getting, you wouldn't be calling for his head and there'd be absolutely no doubt that Stephen Kenny and his management team are the right guys. And all the players have said that. And, you know, you can take that on face value. There are other things as well that indicate uh, that they're content, like nothing has leaked from the dressing room. There's a usual sign, last days of a manager is when he's lost the dressing room and when they're, you know, when they're sounding off to people around the camp and things make their way into the press. There was a Farago about emotional motivational video last year, but nothing has leaked since then. So it looks a tight knit camp. They have all any time that they've been asked have always um, strongly supported the manager. And what about Kenny himself? What is he saying? He has insisted that it's all all the criticism is all noise and it doesn't bother him. But it does bother him and it has cut through and he has given some very, very emotional and, and passionate defences of his work. I mean, the most the one that comes to mind for me is last March after they had lost to Luxembourg and he was, you know, he, he was slaughtered in the press, you know, and they went uh, they had a friendly with Qatar a few days later. They drew one all. And I asked him afterward, is he hurt by the criticism? And he said, no, it doesn't bother me. But like his, his voice is breaking and there were tears beginning to stir in his eyes to say, People have turned very quickly. They're coming out of the woodwork to kick us while we're down. But I know what I'm doing. I'm going to be successful here. I have real clarity in what I'm doing. So he's always talking about the privilege of the job. You know, he's always said that this is the best job 
in world football for me. There's been, you know, sometimes it's been treated like by the likes of, there's been a perception that Martin O'Neill, for example, used it to kind of get himself in the shop window for a club job in, in England and so on. Stephen Kenny has always been very clear that this is the best job I can have. And he's always showed that passion and determination to hold on to it. So he, he had, like the pressure has got to him, I think. It definitely has cut through. But I think, I don't know, I like to see that passion in, in the media because he can come to, sometimes come across as very uncertain and very diffident with his long pauses and his stumbling over words. Like that's a quirk of his character as well. But what he, when you see him passionate and very coherent and talking with great clarity in the press, you kind of, well, that must be the guy that's in the dressing room with his players because talk to his former players that's the character that they say that they see in the dressing room so uh, he's uh, but he's got, he's still going out about his work he's, he's a he's a remarkable level of self-belief Gavin you mentioned earlier that he's a quite a likable character and people actually like hearing from him talking to him it's notably different to say somebody like a Mourinho character a lot of people will know one of the most famous managers of all time you know has managed Manchester United Chelsea talks about himself as the special one Stephen Kenny is very different to that style of management but he's also been vulnerable you mentioned like he's talked about his own anxiety and his own health issues can you tell us a bit more about that side of him he's a very very honest character like he will like you know like in press conferences managers generally don't tell the truth like you know when they're deflecting but Stephen Kenny is incapable of giving um, anything but an honest answer which is great from a journalist's point of view but he has talked with great openness and vulnerability about certain things the most obvious being he gave this extraordinary interview to Off the Ball during the summer where he talked about like he did nearly die when he was manager of the Republic of Ireland under 21s coming home from Sweden his heart stopped at the airport and he collapsed he was resuscitated rushed to hospital uh, and fitted with a pacemaker and has made a full recovery thank god he never really spoke about that until after the christian erickson episode because his coaching staff were around him at the airport uh, he saw the erickson thing he talked about this and he saw it from the other side for the first time and thought my word what did my coaching staff go through so he rang them all and then decided i should speak about this publicly because it might help people you know to get screened and so on so he's very honest about that just remind people what the erickson incident was yeah, sorry, Christian Eriksen, the Denmark player, uh, his heart stopped on the pitch in a Denmark-Finland game at Euro 2020 and he was resuscitated on the pitch uh, and has thankfully again made a full recovery. He's not come back to playing yet, but it was broadcast live and a really kind of distressing and horrifying scenes that went around the world. So in the aftermath of that, Stephen Kenny saw it from the other point of view and decided uh, and realised that, my word, everything that the people around me have gone through must have been very traumatic. So spoke to them and then decided to speak out in the press. Um, and uh, is very engaged. He's very interesting and very engaged on social issues. He was he won an award at the Soccer Writers Association of Ireland banquet in 2018 and used, uh, used his acceptance speech to, to highlight the issue of homelessness. He insisted that the Irish players take a knee to protest systematic racism in Hungary uh, in June, for which um, the team and he were booed by the Hungarian fans and he was subsequently upbraided by uh, Hungarian Prime Minister uh, Viktor Orban for that so all of those things and, and that level of vulnerability and honesty he's a, he's a very very he's a he's just a completely unique character and because of that honesty have we heard is he confident that he is going to get another contract before July 2022 I don't know I, I don't I genuinely don't know his own thought process on it um, the decision will be made by the FAI board uh, you'll read all kinds of things in the in the press saying either way like I mean some board members are in support others are not that's to be expected for a group of 12 people whose opinions who are encouraged to air their opinions we're used to the John Delaney era of the CEO speaks for the board it's the other way around now we spoke to the new CEO Jonathan Hill 
a month ago and asked him about this and uh, you know I asked him a few questions and I thought I got a couple of good answers out of him and then went back and listened to the tape and realized this guy has said absolutely nothing <laughs> he's not committed either way so he knows that he can't speak for the board but we have to go and kind of what the board have said on record the chairperson has said that if we continue to see progress he'll be in line for a contract extension and they will look at things other than the results which includes both the opinion of the players uh, the progress made in terms of infusing young players because that hasn't happened under previous managers and the general levels of enthusiasm around the team and I think that's why Stephen Kenny is in a, in a very good position to have that renewed because they managed to sell out the tickets that they were allowed to sell for the friendly against Qatar on Tuesday night and there is a large groundswell of public opinion in his uh, in his support so I think any at this stage from this remove and acknowledging there are two more games to go against Portugal and Luxembourg next month it would take a courageous FAI board member to go against that weight of public opinion and, and courageous in the in the yes minister sen- sense of the word in which uh, controversial decisions will lose your friends but courageous decisions will lo- lose you elections and if they actually did do that and they did uh, not renew his contract who could possibly succeed him that would keep people happy Oh, it's hard. It's really hard to know. Another thing in his in his favor is the dearth of kind of credible contenders to replace him. You know, you read a short list of, pl- of managers that have primarily managed in the UK: Sam Allardyce, the old England manager; Eddie Howe, who managed at Bournemouth; Alex Neil, who managed at Preston; uh, Neil Lennon, who managed at Celtic. But all these guys have very underwhelming records. Chris Hewton is probably another compelling candidate who used to play for Ireland at least, but he was recently sacked by Nottingham Forest. So, and also. You know, those guys would have been used to being being paid more than Stephen Kenny is currently on. You know, the UK prices are a lot better than what the FEI are capable of, of paying at the moment. Um, what about your expectations with all of your expertise, Gavin? What do you expect um, Ireland to do over the next while? Can they turn it around and start actually winning matches under Kenny? I think so. The progression looks good now. He's he's changed a lot of he's changed his formation and changed his approach and tempered it. He's a little bit more pragmatic now. He, he's he's not quite the starry-eyed idealist that he was when he took the job. But I, but I often think with him, he's he's a very intelligent man, and I think there may have been an element of knowing to say the right thing when he said it when he was talking about those things. He does believe a certain amount of it, of course. I'd be wrong to say that he doesn't. So I think performances are improving. They're starting. They're scoring goals now in a way in a method they haven't really scored in the last few years. Portugal game next month is going to be very difficult. Uh, the Luxembourg game is going to be very interesting to measure the progress having lost to Luxembourg at home. But it, like in my opinion, the progression has been uh, has been evident in performances and results will come. So I would be I'd be pretty optimistic about how things are going. And just as a journalist, it's such a great story to cover because everyone is so invested in it. The characters at it are so interesting. It's just a very very interesting time. Yeah, and just final question, what is a good next four years for Ireland? Like what competitions should we be qualifying for if we have a a, a good run? The European Championships in Germany in 2024. The FEI are drawing a strategic plan up at the moment for the next five years. In it is the expectation that they qualify for the European Championships and the ambition that they would hope qualify for the World Cup for the reasons I outlined earlier. So qualification for the Euros would be uh, would be success and Stephen Kenny knows that that's what he will ultimately be judged against. So that's why um, I think that's why a lot of people believe that he should get a new contract to see through uh, see through the full project uh, to 2024. And maybe play some nice football and definitely score some goals over yeah, exactly. <laughs> the intervening period. Gavin, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us on The Explainer today. And as you said, it's a really interesting story and we'll be continuing to watch The 42 for all developments. Cheers. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Gavin for joining us today. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Nikki Ryan and Aoife Barry. 
If you'd like to support The Explainer, there's a few things you can do. Head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber. You can also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a really, really great way to make sure other people will discover it, listen and love it as well. Thank you and catch you next time.